Welcome to episode two of the More Than You Thought podcast. Today I'll be interviewing Lieutenant Colonel Denny Hargett, who's been a friend of mine for a long time. And when I first started thinking about doing this podcast, he was one of the first people that came to my mind as someone I'd love to interview. He has led an extraordinary life and he's done many things and I hope to capture some of those in this interview. So here we go, Lieutenant Colonel Denny Hargett. Yeah, yeah. quite a while. Yeah. So uh, Go Air Force. Yeah, that's right. So actually the I remember you when I was a lot younger, right? Hunting and stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know you were in the Air Force. Oh. Uh so uh, I remember I um was back home on leave and I was doing recruiter's assistance and they had the Blue Angels over the Ohio. Mm-hmm. I think it was Thunder on the Ohio. And I was working the Air Force recruiting booth and you came up and I go you go, oh, yeah, I was in the Air Force. I go, you were? And I, I still remember it. I go, were you in all? You know, because I was brand new in the military. You know, the people that aren't in the military, there's a caste system. I said, now, were you officer? And listen, you go, oh, no, I was an officer. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I snapped too now. So tell us, let's start the story, right? You're from Mount Vernon. Right. So and you, uh, you grew up in town. I grew up in town, uh, but both my parents, my parents were from big families, lived on farms. I loved the farms. Okay. I loved going out. My grandpa built a pond in the early 50s. The first fish I caught was to stock that pond. We went to my uncle's other pond and carried him back. Uh, but I love being outdoors. I always knew that. But you didn't grow You grew up in town, right? I grew up on Water Street, uh, two different houses. They're both st- uh, one's still there, the older but the one that was built in 1900, they tore down. It's right where the new park is. It's on the corner of oh. Mulberry and Water. Okay. And uh, my mom and dad, they wallpaper. It had plaster lath walls. Mm-hmm. So sure. they just, you wallpaper plaster because sure. it's either that or drywall it. And they, that, that, that didn't have the money to drywall it. Right. So they just fixed it up. But we had a big yard and all the neighbors, we were the only neighbors with a yard. So... Ten people in a fueling family come and played in our yard. The uh, your favorite. Duckworth boys came to our yard. The Cost boys came to our yard. We had a neighborhood that was really tight as far as, and we played basketball against the barn, wiffle ball in the backyard, badminton, croquet. We did Whatever. everything. And my dad would come out, all-time quarterback. He'd play basketball with us. But he was a scout leader. When I turned 12, and I think uh, I, I hate – all the stuff that's gone on with Boy Scouts. Sure. Dad agreed to take... It's the just the Scouts now. Troop, troop, <laughs> not, yeah. He took Troop 95, which had gone under at Trinity Church. Uh, Doc Vogel was said, I'll be your chairman. Dad said, I'm not doing it alone. He got Bob Hast, Lloyd Junker, Ralph Cox. So those four men, they built a trailer that had four tables uh, they made four Wanigan boxes. We loaded with enough gear for uh, to cook two four-man cook kits. And we camped once a month, 12 months a year, for the I, – I kind of got interested in girls around 15 <laughs> or 16 and didn't make Eagle Scout, which I should have for my dad. I should have done that. Yeah. I lacked one, which is ironic. The only merit badge that I lacked was God and Country. Yeah. So I end up being a Sunday school teacher for 20 years and, <laughs> and being in the Air Force for 20. Yeah. So I had that, but I didn't like the preacher that I would have had to go to. Right. So 
But you, you told me you used to ride your bike over to the sand pits and fish down there, and that's a long. That's a long. Well, I had a bicycle <laughs> route uh, that was five miles long. I had the a courier route for the entire southeast corner of Mount Vernon. What years are we talking? Uh, I was I took it over in the fifth grade, and uh, I quit uh, in the eighth grade. So I had it for, for a little over three years. Okay. And that was. This uh, is in the fifties. No, 60s. no, I was, uh, I was born in 49, okay. so I took it over in the fifth grade, which was probably 11 okay. or Sorry. 12. Okay. I don't know. I think it's 11. I did it. I just know that I didn't, when football season started my freshman year, I, I wasn't, I was playing football. Right. I wasn't big enough to play football, but <laughs> I was on a team that only lost one game. Oh, wow. So we had a really good team. So you did that. That, that, uh, that paper route turns out to be one of the things that I thought I didn't realize what it did for you but it matured me as a I learned about people dealing with people I learned how to make I had a checking account yeah I learned what dependability people depend they want on their you. paper every day they want it and, <laughs> and they're going to call you if it ain't there on time right or if it's wet they're not happy uh so you learn to learn that and I found out from a buddy who's full colonel retired at the Air Force Academy and he said, Denny, what do you think? He, he selected the new cadets. What do you think the number one thing that all the cadets that got selected had in common? And I thought, Eagle Scout. He says, no, they all had paper routes. No kidding. And I thought, you know, there's something about that, what, right. it, what it teaches you. Right. So, uh, but I'll I wanted a, a job. I went to high school, and it was I love science. So I end up, uh, you know, taking two years of biology instead of physics. I should have taken physics because I got to Purdue with no physics. Yeah. Uh, Purdue was an in-state school. Was that a big uh, deal at the time? I mean, had your parents gone to college? Or? Neither one had gone to college, so they wanted me to go to college, and I wanted to be a wildlife biologist. Okay. Uh, I, I knew that before I even got, as I got into high school, uh, people laugh, but today uh, the program, uh, it was uh, Marlon Perkins, and uh, Jim, whoever, he was the big guy with it. And they wrestled alligators and okay. they banded animals and did all that stuff. Uh, and they were basically a little wildlife show. It was a Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. So I loved that show. Okay. And that really got me started thinking, hey, you can, you can sure. do this. Right. My senior year, uh, or actually, uh, I, I'm going off to Purdue and Dave Cox was a year younger than me. We were best friends. He had a Jeep. We hunted. We fished. We did everything together, canoed together. And uh, he, didn't, he wasn't going to get drafted if he didn't go straight to college. Mm -hmm. So he got a summer job at Hovey Lake. And they had never had a wildlife biologist there until they hired Pete Meyer. So Dave is working for him. Uh, I come home in January. I'm already in my wildlife classes, which – up there was mostly you're just doing your math and you're but but I did have some biology classes and they took me out uh to band ducks in January season's over uh they had some cages made out of, of a two by four welded basically just angle iron and there was we we had to boat across the lake dry lake at that time was a refuge today they hunt it but it was a refuge, and there was two, two cages 
with probably a hundred ducks in them and we stood there and I was the guy with the pencil recording while they uh, Pete put the bands and uh, and they sexed them you had to mm-hmm. age it and sex each duck and and I got so enthralled I want to be a waterfowl <laughs> biologist not okay. just a wildlife biologist All I right. got really yeah and and so Pete didn't understand that both Dave and I were, he was our mentor. He was our hero. He'd been to Vietnam. He was an army captain. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a, uh, so were and, you, and he was a biologist doing what we wanted to do. So you, so you were in ROTC though, right? I was in ROTC. And, and when I went to Purdue with my folks in August, uh, I asked them, uh, of course, Vietnam was, was hot and heavy in right. 60, fall of 67. There's body bags on the TV every night. Right. And uh, dad, I was born on an Air Force base, and my dad was, he, he was a uh, sheet metal mechanic on the first operational squadron of jets in the Air Force. Oh, I the didn't know P, that. The P-80. Okay. Became the F-80, and my first ride in a, uh, in a jet was uh, in a T-33 trainer, which is yeah. the trainer that, uh, you know, I got to actually dive bomb at a no fishing boat. How old were you then? I was in, in uh, ROTC that summer. Oh, okay. I was still at gotcha. Rotsy. But uh yeah. It sounds I didn't like know. that's it sounds like that's two different tracks. It, you're like you're like really interested well, in biology and all it, this stuff, but yet you're in ROTC. Oh, but but and that's where that's where it really connected is because my senior year I'm taking a graduate level, six hundred level waterfowl biology class at at Florida, University of Florida. Purdue that's another story, but I had to transfer to Florida to afford to continue school. Okay. So I, they have a waterfowl biologist there. He's on the committee for exotic waterfowl in the Mississippi Flyway. Okay. So he takes his class to Rockefeller Refuge uh, in Louisiana, which is on the, the Texas border, the Sabine River, Cameron, Louisiana. Nothing but, but Cajuns there. They fed us shrimp oysters <laughs> we caught our own blue crab i couldn't eat any of this stuff i'm allergic to crustaceans so <laughs> i'm having freaking peanut butter and you know so so he takes us there and while we're there we have to go to the grass strip and pick up a guy in an airplane and this is a biologist pilot for the fish and wildlife service he's stationed in montana okay and i get a ride over in the vehicle come back grab a beer and we're 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 talking to this guy i'm talking to him i i've already right. i'm working on my private pilot's license you know okay. in the air force and uh i'm going in the air force and that's so now my goal is become a biologist pilot okay i said what are you doing down here now i'm flying the texas gulf coast uh snow goose survey we do it every year me and the same biologist fly the same route. They don't care if our numbers are right. They just want to be the same two guys flying the same two route, giving us an index. Is it up? Is it down? Okay. So I went into pilot training, not planning to stay in the Air Force at all. So you're, you're just I'm going to get my training. Yeah. Gonna, I got a six-year commitment. I'm going to go be a, a biologist pilot. Okay. And uh, so... I get to pilot training. I get washed well, out at well, nine on. months. Well, what? Well, okay. back up. So you're in ROTC, so you don't have to go to OTS or OCS. No, yeah, I, I graduate so you go, commission. You second get your commission. Um, you're you're going straight to to pilot school. Pilot training. Okay, where yeah. was that at? Enid, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, Vance Air Force Base. Uh, 
my my flight commander there just passed away his wife is very sick they were they, they retired in rapid city he was from south dakota quiet uh great leader uh great pilot uh flew back seats in f4s with 140 combat missions wow. in vietnam in the, as a whizzo and uh and they promised him pilot training. So he shows up at pilot training as a captain with combat experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm in, me and two other guys are carpooling together. So every day I get, you know, I get to know this guy. And yeah. we became best friends for life, as they say. So tell me about so, what's pilot training like? Intense. Or at least what was it like back then? Yeah, intense. They're still flying the 38. Sure. Uh, yeah. We flew the T-37. Yeah. The the uh, you start with 20 hours in a Cessna 172. I had no trouble. We lost. Uh, we start with 56 guys, and uh, we lost six or eight uh, in 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 what they call T41 training, Cessna 172. Yeah. So you get 80 hours in in the twin Cessna jet, uh, side by side clamshell. Uh, I came out of that with an excellent on my check ride. Uh, uh, I was doing good. I was in the middle of the class. Mm-hmm. By the time we get through 37s, we've lost a bunch more. But we're down to about 40, and I'm, I'm, I'm ranking in the middle of it. So I start 38s, and I get Lieutenant White. First Lieutenant White is, I'm his first student. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he's been to, he is what they call a plowback instructor. He's been to uh, uh, pilot training, sent him to Randolph, became an instructor, and sent him back as an instructor. So he has no experience other than ATC. And They did that in security forces. Yeah. They did that for us, and it didn't work out. It didn't they, work they, out they, at they weapons controllers, and they don't think it's worked out anywhere. <laughs> they put they them right tried. from the police academy. They turn them right back in to being cadres. But they don't have any experience <laughs> to teach. Yeah. You know, so, so I get in. Uh, the, my fellow, you pair up, two guys, same instructor. The guy, Dale Autry, who ended up being a B-1 test pilot. Oh, wow. Okay. Number one in his class academic at the Air Force Academy. He went to the same washout ride that I did and barely passed it. I went, and I'll still remember Major McGuffey sitting across the table like this. And he says, well, Lieutenant, I know this is going to sound like you look good hanging with a new rope, but that is the <laughs> best uh, 99 ride I've ever flown and not signed a guy off to go fly solo. So this is devastating. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been. It was. Yeah. Believe me, my wife was in the uh, tower watching me fail. I mean, my first landing, if this is your runway, my first landing, the wind blow, the strong wind out of the northwest. We yeah. got a front. This is in, in Oklahoma. Uh, September in Oklahoma. Yeah, there's some wind. Yeah. <laughs> so it blows me too wide. Well, this 38 doesn't have very big wings. If you do too much bank and try to get back, you can stall it. So I did the right thing. I went around. Pulled around, yeah. shallow my bank, went further on the downwind, came out, and I'm too shallow. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it over here, but I can't. So I go around again. Two good go around decisions. Planned the third one on the middle of the runway. Yeah. And I landed the straight in, no problem. From five miles out, you do a straight in, you know. So I had to land a no flap. And when we, when I hit the burner to go around, uh, the IP said uh, the instructor the 
check pilot says, uh, I got the aircraft. I'm going to demonstrate a no flap. And, and it was just like a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that if I didn't do the no flap, he wouldn't go past me. Yeah. So that it was, it was, it was terrible. But, you know, and this is, the, this is the lesson from Dad. If you did your best, it's okay. Yeah. I did. <laughs> How many times, um, you know, everybody kind of has setbacks, yeah. you know, in life. And you look back and, you know, maybe... Maybe many many other good things came out of the alternative. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You go to a controller. I don't even know what a weapons controller is. Okay, it's a so guy you're geared up. You're going to be this, and now and you're now, going down this path to get the training. I called. The, I actually called the guys who were the wildlife biologist guys are at Kirtland to see if I could get down there on the bird strike team. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Air Force didn't have any openings, so they sent me to controller training. So I was actually in contact talking to R.C. Yeah. Wooten who was a PhD desert ecologist and, and he knew I had a degree that I could help him, but he couldn't, he couldn't get any opening. So now, now the air force has decided what you're going to do. I'm going to go to, to basic training for controllers at Tyndall. And from there, I'm going to Key West, Florida, man. I mean, you talk about, you talk about muddy ponds, yeah. and <laughs> muddy rivers. And I get to Key West and go snorkeling the first few times. I went, I'm in heaven. Yeah. You're like, maybe, you know? maybe this is, this is yeah. going to be okay. Well, and plan B is working out. That's right. Plan B is, this is the thing about controllers. Uh, they get there and they get, uh, six weeks of training. I've just been through nine months of pilot training. I know what they're doing up there. I can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can fly the jet. Yeah. Uh, and I completed my academics. Okay. So I've got all this academic knowledge, too, to make me just shoot ahead of the other controllers, which I did. Tell, tell us so, briefly what a controller does. Uh, he, he basically, in air defense, uh, we have fighters on the ground. Uh, an enemy comes in from... Uh, in, in our case, it was from Cuba. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a MiG come up or a, a surveillance aircraft. We would launch our F-106s. You're talking I, on the radio. I'm telling him where to go, where to climb, what speed to set, okay. uh, where your target is till he gets it. Back then, the F-106 would be lucky to get a contact at 15 miles. Okay. <laughs> so he's 200 miles away. He needs my help. Right. So I get him there. Because they don't him. have radar like what you got. Right, I got a 200 mile diameter yeah. radar. He's got a 60 degree either side, yeah. uh, 15, 20 mile. It was a pulsed radar. It wasn't worth a hoot. Right. Not like the doppers that we got now. Sure. So, yeah. And, and now I go to Korea. They ship me after one year. You're going to go overseas. So I go to Korea and I got a manual. That's a manual scope. I'm a manual background. I, got a, I ran nine unknowns, 12 unknowns in nine months. The whole United States didn't have as many unknowns oh, wow. as I had. You know? you... and, and that's when the pressure's on. Yeah. You know, you got live fighters up. This is not a training mission. You're going out to sure. intercept an airliner or who's off course. or Right. So this whatever. is an unaccompanied tour? Yes. Leave the wife at home? Yeah, leave the wife at home. Uh, and been there just a few weeks. Uh, you try to catch up because you're not going to have uh, your wife for a year right uh, or at least till mid tour right and uh we we were successful in uh, getting uh, pregnant <laughs> yeah which we'd been we'd been through some testing we hadn't right. had any success so uh so she's expecting she's expecting when you leave. i get back i'm not allowed to go on leave 
with nine less than three months left, and I'm only allowed to go for three weeks, my commander signed a waiver, let me have 30 days, and let me go when Nate was born. Okay. So I got back, and that's what got me in the Air Force forever. Yeah. Nate's born with Rubenstein Tavy syndrome. Nobody knows. Nobody what knows what that is. is. Yeah. Uh, they can't tell you anything. And uh, his both eyes, by the way, before he was eight weeks old, had been operated on. Oh wow! Uh, Champus picked up eight thousand dollars of Riley Hospital eye bills. You and just see the bills. Yeah, you go. You this is how much it costs in the crap. in the and, U.S. Air Force pays for it. And you don't know what's next on this kid. You know, yeah. he's obviously everything's delayed. He's turns out he's severely retarded. Uh, they don't use that word anymore, but right. believe me, he is. Right. Uh, he's nonverbal still. He loves to go out in the boat. Yeah. You know, uh, but I came back from Korea and uh, got back to to Key West by request. My ops officer in Korea got reassigned because they had busted an ORI. Okay. The new commander put in charge when they busted their ORI. Uh, he pick, handpicked uh, Colonel uh, Major Greeno. Major Greeno handpicked me. Called me on my way home on leave. Would you go back to Key West? <laughs> in a heartbeat. Are you but a first? Sure are you a first general. lieutenant here, or I am still first lieutenant. Okay. Yeah, I was a second lieutenant when I got to Korea, right, right. but it was I was already first lieutenant. I made captain right after I got back. So up to Key up West. to captain was that just a time? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a time. Yeah, two years. Yeah. And then two more years, and uh, yeah, I came back from Korea as a first lieutenant. There was no housing. I in the in the navy at the navy. My uh, time on the housing list started when I got to Korea. Okay. So you'd think when I get back in, in January, I'd be on top list. No housing, no housing, no housing. They had housing, but it was for field grade officers. Okay. And my boss. So where are you staying at? I, I'm staying in a trailer okay. uh, <laughs> out off the end of the runway. Oh, awesome. With a boat, uh, with a canal out to the Atlantic going out. So you're in heaven and your uh, wife is not in heaven? She's okay. She's all right. She's fine. We had good friends across okay. the street, good neighbors. Uh, you're in Key West. It, it's, so you heard some jet traffic occasionally? It was, uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Big story, funny story. <laughs> RA-5s, nine squadrons, four aircraft per squadron, were transferred from Albany, Georgia. This is supersonic. Uh, they put four aircraft, a squadron worth, on every, uh, like, Atlantic fleet, Mediterranean fleet, Pacific fleet, and uh, whatever. Anyway, they had these nine squadrons, and they came down from Albany, and they do their carrier quals on the runway between two strips. Yeah. And when they would light their burner, when they hit the ground and do their go, it was like the whole trailer ship. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of ours was, uh, one of my neighbors was an Eastern Airlines pilot. Well, he worked 10 days a month. He fished the rest of the time. Yeah. He go, he's calling up. He says, it's not that loud out there. He says, listen to this. He's holding the phone up in the air, you know, to the base commander yeah. trying to get him to. Yeah. But uh, I went last, uh, summer before last, playing golf with Tim over in, uh, there was a, a, a cool story we had. Uh, they never set F-4s to defend the recce birds who were flying along. If it was an RA-5, they didn't need any I see. support. Sure. So RA-5's fast enough, he'll outrun the MiGs. Yeah. So two MiGs jump this RA-5. He comes back towards Key West. Uh, the RA-5 is Mach 1 point whatever. 
bust the windows out of downtown. <laughs> uh, he's climbing, and two MIGs got with, we lost the MIGs in our ground clutter. The Hawk battery, we had four Hawk batteries back in 75. Uh, they were begging for permission to fire at these MIGs because they're, they're inside of 10 miles on Key West. Yeah. It's only about 25 miles to the DMZ, you know, not the DMZ, but the international. Well, whatever. the ADS, they call it. Okay. Defense identification. Gotcha. Zone. Gotcha. So the MIGs turn, and this guy, I, I watch him, and I think he goes way north of Key West. And he makes this big teardrop, and he's coming back, and we're hearing the calls. He's declaring emergency on guard, uh, fuel emergency, blah, blah, blah. So I'm playing golf over there, and this guy, and we get talking, and he's, he says, I was a recce pilot. I just bought a bottle of wine, a case of wine, I got recce red on. I, where, where, where at? He says, oh, I flew uh, vigilantes. I said, really? I was at Key West when, uh, he said, oh, yeah, I was, I, I flew a plane in on that, <laughs> and I was telling him, I only got one uh, RA-5 story, and I, he says, that was me. No kidding. Yeah, he said, I was at 55,000 feet oh my. without a pressure suit, and I'm trying, he what? said, I was bleeding off airspeed. I was, he got to Mach 1.5, and he's climbing, and to bleed off the airspeed, sure. he burned all of his gas off, Oh. and so he said, oh, yeah, I said, uh, I said, well, I, what's the chance of meeting the guy yeah. on the golf course in Branson? That's crazy. In Branson. <laughs> yeah, Timmy's going crazy. <laughs> but it's a small world. You learn that in the Air Force. Oh, yeah, you, know, you absolutely it's do. It's really a small world. Absolutely do. Yeah. Well, so um, I was telling you before we started, the reason I did this because a friend of mine yeah. um, was on the fire department, and he told all these stories. His name's Kenny Guest. Yeah. And uh, one of the other chiefs says, uh, you'll like Kenny. He was in the Air Force, and we get to talking. He was stationed at Inserlick. Yeah. He was military police. Yeah. He was there 50 years before me, though. But um, so you're, how long were you down at Key West for? Uh, well, they closed the site and uh, moved uh, one other captain. Uh, and the commander and I were the only three officers that went to Tyndall. Uh, I had hit, uh, Major Grinnell sent me to the Interceptor Weapons School, which was September of 75 until uh, uh, December. And the weapons school wanted me to be there as an instructor because they didn't have that many manual sites. Mm -hmm. And so here I am with over three years of manual experience and I could control, you know, I was a pretty good controller, like yeah. I said, because of some of my stuff uh, that I had experience. So I went back to the Interceptor Weapons School at Tyndall mm -hmm. after uh, we closed in May of 76. Okay. I was there for about two years, uh, having a blast, working lots of hours and I got a call from a college ROTC buddy who found out what I wanted to be a wildlife biologist says I'm a biology major but I don't know what I'm going to do I just like biology so I he the Air Force wouldn't let him out so he went and got his they would let him get his master's so Dave Wesley went to Virginia Tech got a master's in wildlife biology and got hired at the Pentagon as the biologist for the Air Force at the Pentagon no kidding so Dave calls me and says, Denny, I'm in a four-year control tour because it's instructor duty. Mm -hmm. He says, do you want my job? I said, uh, yeah, that'd be great, but I, I can't, uh, you can't get me out of this career field. And he said, if Mr. Bedker wants you here at the Pentagon, you, he can get you. Okay. So they gave me a fun site. I flew up. My boss, I told my boss, was, he started laughing because he had been involved in a situation at Air Defense Command. That's a whole nother story, but uh, 
I, I got the job and they told me, but you're not moving. I can't tell you any more than that, but you're probably not going to be moving, Denny. So that's when, uh, when the announcement came out, Carter had determined that he wanted to uh, reduce the military presence in Washington, D.C. in 1978, and he directed the services to, to move, reduce their manning. And so the Air Force took him at their heart, and they, and they moved 350 positions in rough number to tend to inform the Air Force Engineering and Services Center. Commissary, BX, housing, uh, Red Horse, mm -hmm. all that stuff, including the Natural Resources Division. Up so at they the came to you. So, so the two guys that were up there, uh, the, the Forester and the Agronomist, uh, bus, uh, the Forester wanted out of D.C. immediately. So he, he transferred immediately to Tyndall, came my boss. Irv stayed up there because he had a kid about to graduate, and they had, a two, they had two years to move. So Irv stayed well before it was over with. They wouldn't let him move. They made him a, a special assistant to the Air Force DE, and, and uh, I had to travel a lot back and forth to, to the Pentagon because to I'm doing – so they let you do it. You took they let me do it. I took the job. Uh, I stayed at Tyndall, six years at Tyndall, four of it as a wildlife biologist. So that was kind of, you know, like, well, what do I do now? Do I stay in the career field? So we happened to go to Air Training Command to their environmental shop. So I sneaked down to the personnel and I said, hey, what do you got for me? He says, man, I got nothing for you. This, he said, you can stay there and rot if you want. Well, that didn't sound like a real good career move to stay there and rot. <laughs> so I called, uh, I went back, I, I went over and I talked to the controllers and they said, you haven't been overseas long tour yet. Well, with Nathan, I couldn't go to Europe. I tried to go with the aggressor squadron. I couldn't go there. And, well, uh, we got an opening in Alaska. Turned out it was like, it was going to kill your career if you went there. But, you know, I wanted to go, Alaska? You're talking to a wildlife biologist? Yeah, yeah. So we went and... Uh, Right after I got there, I got this Air Force Level Award, a Thomas D. White Environmental Award that Mr. Bedker put me in for. They had to send me. They didn't want to Were you at Elmendorf? Or? I was at Elmendorf. Okay. And uh, they were getting a new, uh, my next-door neighbor my, in my duplex at Tyndall was at, at Elmendorf. He was in a good job. He kind of said, hey, you need to get Danny Hargett in this job. Yeah. So I became ops and plans. We were closing 13 radar sites okay. and put installing 13 new radars. And when I took it over, we only had four installed. So in the next two years that I was there, after being nine months in the old system, I moved to the plans So you're a major at this point? I made major based on my career in wildlife. Okay. Not on that. Not, you know, not, on, not on that. Okay. But I uh, probably, uh, well... It's a small world thing when you when so I get ready to leave Alaska because I you know I didn't want to stay up there I didn't I liked it but I didn't think that was a career move I was working way too many hours and you're and, in the back forty yeah I mean, for the Air Force right I mean you yeah. say it's a career killer right yeah so well the job I wasn't in a career killer but I see bunch you uh, a friend of mine from Alaska. Uh, I mean, from Tyndall, I had an Australian exchange officer. That's a, I got so many stories on Australian yeah. exchange officers. <laughs> and Jim Bunchu was a USAF captain in Australia. 
So he became, we became really good friends. He calls me in to be his ops officer at Tindall at the training unit, control, weapons controller okay. training squadron. And that's when he first time moves me up to an operations officer. Okay. That's good for a major, yeah. a brand new major. And then he tells me, you need to go interview with Lucky Ekman to Colonel Ekman for the 81st range control squadron commander job. So I went and interviewed. I'm still, I'm one of the few, you know, majors still controlling. Most majors, they want to get off scope. They're scared to death. They, you know, I love controlling. <laughs> okay. So in the fighter pot world, that's, that's what they want to fly. They want to lead and they want, so they're the guys running the air force. Yeah. And they, they picked me and said, yeah, we want you to be the commander over there. Okay. And that job went, uh, my boss there says, you need to go be the fighter weapons school commander of the controller division. So that's where my career ended. But every, every time it was somebody saying, we want Denny Hargit nice. here. We want Denny Hargit there. And, uh, you know, I, I So you finished up your career at Tyndall, right? No, I finished oh, is it Nellis? at Las Vegas at okay. Nellis. Okay. 92, 20 years. The decision was strictly a family decision. Sure. I was, you, I had you two told commands. Me. I'm probably going to make full colonel. Yeah. But Jennifer's family, her dad's gone already. Her mom's 95. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things going on. It was like her, her comment was, if you don't, uh, if we don't get back to Indiana, the kids are never going to really know their grandparents. Yeah. You, t you told me, uh, I had got out of the air force and I remember we were hanging out and I was like, I don't know, I'm thinking about going back in and you go, uh, uh, it's great life. But every time you see everything you own in a truck going down the road and your kid's crying because you're losing your right. friends, it's right. tough. It is hard. That was the hardest part of moving. And now we've been yeah. in, you know, the kids will tell you that when they talk about it. Timmy has made contact with his friends in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, both Nick and Tim have made contact with their friends in Tyndall. I mean, those, when you're not around them all the time, those, they're not close friends but sure they they were close enough at the time to want to go back and yeah and visit and hang out with them you know so you're doing so that it is hard you're doing that there and you make lieutenant colonel right right and that's yeah how, it, what year did you make that uh i guess i've been in i pinned it on uh at 16 oh, that's so 88 that's pretty good right yeah yeah it was on time it wasn't anything below the zone but right the 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 really interesting thing is the <laughs> I probably told you this one, uh, the gal who was an instructor uh, at the weapons school uh, worked for Dex Rogers. He was the guy I replaced. Uh, he got passed over at the weapons school. Big deal, you yeah. know. The commander of the and all these guys go on to make general in the fighter <laughs> world, but he right. got passed over. It was because of some old stuff in his records way back. But anyway, Lori Robinson was an instructor. I leave in 92. She takes that same job in 95 and first woman to do a lot of things. Uh, she made general. She went to four stars, uh, flew in AWACS in combat during <laughs> Iraq and, yeah. and Afghanistan. And became Saint PACAF. Oh wow! In charge of all PACAF air forces. Yeah. And and then came back and retired as Saint NORAD. This is <laughs> right. Uh, so it wasn't that I wasn't in a promotable job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I could have done that, but yeah. I, you know, 
So you look back and you go, but did I make the right decision? Absolutely. Yeah. So For my family, it was absolutely so perfect. So that, that moves me on to you've had a whole other career. And I remember this. You told me this, too. You said, uh, you know the difference between a lieutenant colonel and a colonel? Yeah. And I said, what's that? And you said, lieutenant colonels have to have second careers. That's right. <laughs> Old colonels play golf. Yeah, that's life. right. So you left yeah. there and you came back home, right? Yeah. I missed her mom for five years. Okay. Uh, I could have written that movie. I could have written that script. Yeah. You know, I'm serious. I mean, well, I learned so much about what my wife had been doing. Was there calamities or was there? No, well, we burned a few things. And we ordered pizza So you came back, you're retired, your wife goes to work? Yeah, she uh, had finished, well, you know, the plan was I worked 20, you worked 20. And she, okay. was, she, wanted, she went out to Gulf Coast Community College. Took the battery and tested, you'd make a good nurse. So she went to nurses training there in Panama okay. City. All right. Graduated in 88. So she's working part-time in Vegas uh, as okay. an RN. And she really liked it. She liked old people, uh, geriatric kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. she ended up in the rehab hospital in Evansville. Okay. And uh, she worked 30 years. Wow. So she just really retired when COVID hit. But you didn't sit around. So you did that for five years. Now well, your kids... Well, then I wanted... To your kids are my older. dream yeah they're they're done you know yeah. nate's in a group home uh which freed me up uh and uh, the boys are going off to college and stuff and i started in 96 i went to work at hubby lake as a, a you know making five dollars something 180 days a year going out every four days at, and during duck season and uh you know i got to band wood ducks i got to drive tractors it was a good fun job yeah. it just wasn't making any money right and, and how long did you do that for? I did that for six years. Yeah. I got started uh, the first year. Uh, Poshon asked me if I wanted to be uh, go to camp with him. The conservation officer putting on the Carl Kelly camp. Yep. And I did that for uh, 14 years wow. as a volunteer instructor up there. Taught fishing and and uh, 20 gauge and, and wildlife management and, and you know that sort of stuff. So that was a great uh, spinoff of that dinky job. Poshon never would leave. Brad Feaster finally left. Normally, the assistant moves up to mm-hmm. be the, the boss. The and I was in. A, I had a degree. I was qualified for the assistant. I just wanted the assistant job. Right. I didn't want to be the boss. I right. just wanted to be the assistant. But Brad finally moved on up to uh, Lenton and opened up that fish and wildlife area. So N- Nick comes back from IU. He graduated in two thousand one. He says, Dad, they got a new program. Uh, it's for people just like you. You got a, you got a career in the military, and uh, one year you can get a uh, with a with a bachelor's degree, you can get a, a Indian teaching certificate. So I went back to uh, USI, didn't find out about the program, and uh, I ended up going uh, uh, a year. Uh, did my student teaching at Teacouple, uh, did uh, a semester in New Harmony, and uh, really liked teaching. Yeah. I've been an instructor my whole life in the Air Force. Sure. So all that was, I didn't need that kind of stuff. Plus, I had more science than anybody. <laughs> when I went in and they act like they were going to make me take a science, to, uh, and, and the guy looked at my, this professor over there who's making the decision, do you need more science? He goes, my God, how many hours of science you got? <laughs> well, I you mean, told I me had, you're taking 600-level classes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got <laughs> physics. I've got biology. I've got ecology. Yeah. I've got, uh, you know, I had, the Air Force made me take uh, uh, celestial navigation at University <laughs> oh, of Florida. Okay. Because I'm going to go to pilot training. Sure. Or, or maybe nav training, sure. you know. So, yeah, I had a lot. Of, and all that with 
the, the experience of living in Key West, Panama City, Alaska. Las Vegas, Alaska. Yeah. I lived in all these environments. I knew about long yeah. nights. And you weren't sitting at home. No, you're I'm, going out fishing and hunting. I'm, and, I'm learning. You know, I'm always been interested in in the. I'm, I'm outdoors. Right. So, I've got the skin so, cancer still proven. <laughs> so, so you did That's your transition to teaching. Transition to teaching and uh, didn't get the job I wanted at the junior high because it was close, but I wasn't willing to teach uh, cross country. I can't run. Sure. You know, I'm not a cross country <laughs> coach. Right. And uh, Ernie Darts. Uh, daughter got that job straight out of U of E with no other experience she had and uh, so I I, I kind of that hurt. sure sure you know I thought well you, you subbed to there quite a bit I right? subbed a lot yeah, yeah. in fact I, I met a kid that checked out my RV the other day he yeah. he says I thought you looked familiar I recognize his name yeah and uh, so yeah I made a lot of uh, contacts there with kids but um, at, at that point uh, I put in a uh, I got a call for a long-term sub at St. Phillips Parochial School. Yeah. Doesn't pay quite as well. Uh, but the kids are a, a lot more under control than sure. public schools. Sure, And that was probably the, one of the best things that happened to me. Is they, So you're teaching biology there? Well, I'm teaching. Uh, I'm a science teacher uh, from November to February. Okay. And uh, the guy comes back. So then I get a call the next uh, summer. Okay. Full time. Okay. We want you full time. And and basically my middle school level, right? Right. Yeah. I taught uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and which is one reason I retired at sixty-two. There's too many preparations sure. for every day, too many lesson plans. It's just so. How know, long did you teach there? Five years. Okay. And I was sixty-two, and uh, there was another teacher, Karen was just about my age and she said, you know, Danny, on Thursday nights I found myself laying on the floor asleep. I just <laughs> I was exhausted. And I said, I'm glad it ain't just me. Yeah, right. Because it's exhausting, really, what teachers go through. I mean, it's grading papers. You're sitting there, you know, in your chair with till ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. Oh wow. And I didn't have kids at home. Yeah. You know, this is just me trying to keep up. Yeah. And the first year, like they always tell you, it's the worst. You got to read the book. Yeah, it's hard to sign a reading lesson to kids you if you haven't it. read it. Yeah. So I'm reading. I'm getting up to speed on, and that's about the time. If you remember, uh, there was a, a TV program came on. Are you smarter than a fifth yeah. grader? Yeah, yeah. And it's true. Those kids are people were. I can't believe the stuff they teach fifth graders now. Well, we didn't learn that till high school. Right. I said, uh, is the truth. Right. You know, you needed the background. So. So where did that take you? Uh, take me to a retirement. Your retirement, but you, but you haven't sat. You're not sitting on the in the rocking chair watching the no. world go by. Well, I'm not going to do that ever. Yeah, you know, until I have to. So. That's why I took you hunting. So when I get ready to go hunting, <laughs> and I, I told Brent on, he says you got taking all these kids hunting, which I'd still like to teach take kids yeah. fishing and hunting. I said. So I get it. I can't hardly get to the duck blind, and I say, "Move, move, move those decoys a little bit to the left, and then over there, move them a little further out." We were dove hunting, and you told me you said, uh, "All I want to do when I get old is sit on a bucket and shoot doves." Yeah, that's right. That's my old man sport. It's your old man because it's easy. Yeah. yeah, and it's fun, and it's good shooting. Yeah, but yeah, I'm not as fast as I used to be. I did shoot two woodies Saturday morning. There you go. So quickly, we'll wrap up. Um, What's your advice? What's your advice to, what would your advice be to a young person maybe going into the Air Force or wants to go into biology or, you know, what does a lifetime of experience? Some of the best, one of the best advice things 
I got was keep your options open. Yeah. You know, if you've got a choice, you know, you got to go this way or that way. Do things that keep, you know, if you need uh, an education to do whatever you want to do, then get to working on that. Right. And, and, and if it doesn't work out, then there's other, you just got to keep as many options open as you can. I tell my kids that life is just merely decisions, yeah. right? You have decisions right. to make every day and there's consequences Good oh, yeah. and bad for, for, for every decision. That's you make. The, the biggest decision I made was, you know, getting saved. Oh, yeah. See, I went, I went through, uh, I met Mr. Corman when I got that biology job. Uh, I thought I was, I, I believe Jesus Christ was uh, died and rose again. Sure. That's, the gospel is the death, the burial, resurrection. That's, you know. But I still thought my. Good works All right. had something to do with that. Right. So I didn't have this. My, my works, as I was going through this fighter squadron life of light your hair on fire and, <laughs> and drink, and thing, I knew sure. my life wasn't yeah. lining up. Turns out you're not good enough. Well, nobody's good enough. <laughs> I know. And that's what you have to tell people. Yeah, yeah. It only takes one sin. To, that's right. So, so you have to figure out, so what's, Mr. Corman, where do you, you believe you're, you've got one save, always save. How did, where is it? And started, so I started, you know, uh, he gave me some verses. Not, not the best verses that he gave mm -hmm. me. <laughs> uh, there's three verses that tell you you're sealed into the body of Christ. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 13 is one of them. Uh, Ephesians 4, 30 is the other one. The other one's in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians, I think. But you're sealed into the body. You're, God wants you in the body of Christ for a purpose. And that's being in that and knowing that you're secure, that he loves you, and no matter how you screw up, he still loves you. Wouldn't you say that gives you quite a bit of peace in life? That's where the peace and the joy <laughs> I, come from. I think... Uh, I don't think people get it. No, why, why do I have peace and why do I have joy in my life? It's because I know, you know, that unconditional love. And I said, that I had a discussion with Tim not too long ago about that as far as as a father sure you when you're when you're handed a, a one your child uh, that love is unconditional you may not like the way what they do but yeah. you're love you still love them sure well, that's the, the kind of love god has for us well and the bible uses that analogy a lot right that's why I mean, I through the whole bible and the whole family yeah yeah and then when you have kids you realize that because you're like I tell right. my I don't I don't care what you do. You may have to serve you may do some terrible crime. You're gonna have consequences for that, but you can't do anything bad enough for me to not love you anymore. I'm gonna love you because you're it's not it's the prodigal son thing. Sure. You know, when he comes back, he is blown off his inheritance. Yeah. He is he's just begging to be let he's, back. He's been feeding swine as yeah, a young Hebrew yeah, boy. Right. <laughs> and 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 his dad is sure. is receiving him back. Sure. He thinks he wants to be a servant. He he's out there gleaning the fields for something to eat, and yeah. he's they kill that, a fatted that, calf for him. Yeah, and and that helped me. Uh, that happened back in seventy, uh, actually fall of seventy eight. Okay. So I, I lived from twelve when I got thinking I was saved sure. to knowing I was saved. Uh, and uh, I met a, I met some guys there in that unit that took me to the to the church, you know, Baptist church. Yeah. Uh, I was interested. Uh, I went to a funeral for uh, June Russell, and I heard Matt Watson. Yeah. Uh, talking. I'm going to have him on here. Well, Matt uh, is General Baptist, 
That's why you don't have a general oh, in I know. that. You yeah. know that whole story. Oh, yeah. I heard him preach this, and I said, I went over. I said, I need to talk to you because yeah. this is good. This yeah. is Well, so, you know, I went to Oklahoma City, which is General Baptist College. I didn't know that. And then, uh, you know, here, and, the, you know, like yeah. a lot of things in life, you know, there's different factions yeah. and different things that yeah. happen. But yeah. um, but those those verses about being sealed, he said, oh, yeah, I went. He went, I guess, to Louisville or somewhere, and he said, yeah. I come to see. Well, he went to Oklahoma City, too. He okay. went to seminary that, over in Louisville. Yeah, the seminary. That's yeah. where he got the the once saved always sure. saved doctrine eternal security is a you know it doesn't change a lot of people in terms of whether or not they're saved sure but it lets them live the joy have the joy and the peace don't you think it just takes a lot of burden off your life that's right <laughs> you yeah. can go fishing and have fun yeah. well hey i know you got to run i appreciate you I've, doing this for hey. me I'm. It's been fun. I go. I will be back. You got fat little bass like. Yeah. That. Well, I'll get you on here again. <laughs> we we went the we went the speedy route because we were short on time. Yeah. I, I'm gonna be late for. My All right. Meeting, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate. I'll, it. I'll. I'll, uh, I'll look forward to coming back, Patrick. All right.